Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Elizabeth Costover's second novel is The Swan Thieves, a story of obsession and art. Her first novel, The Historian, shot to number one on the New York Times bestseller list, becoming the first debut novel to do so. This historical novel explores the history and folklore of Vlad the Impaler, the real-life inspiration for the Dracula story. It went on to sell over two million copies worldwide and was published in 40 foreign editions. The historian won Elizabeth the Best Newcomer Award in the 2006 British Book Awards. She has also won the Hopwood Award for a novel in progress. Elizabeth graduated from Yale and also holds a Master in Fine Arts from the University of Michigan. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, for for those people who are listening who are wondering how you got into writing, tell us about what were you doing before you released your first book and how you the process of that first book. Well, it was um like like many writers, I worked for many years before publishing a novel. I I was really writing seriously for over 20 years before The Historian came out. Mm. And I spent about 10 years of that time on The Historian, but I was also always writing short work and publishing um, essays and poetry and short fiction in literary magazines. And during that time, also like most writers, I was working a lot of jobs to make a living, yes, um, including including a lot of, of teaching. And which I really enjoyed and doing many other things. So I was always kind of writing around the edges of what I had to do every day. And so when did you know that you wanted to write? Was it from when you were at school or was it later? You know, when did you discover this wonderful world we call writing? I think it really was in childhood. Um, I grew up very much um, a reader. And like like a lot of children, I started writing because I was imitating the books I loved to read. Mm. And so I think I really, I, I started writing poetry when I was about eight and fiction when I was nine. And very, you know, true juvenilia. Mm. <laughs> but it was, it, it was sort of the beginning of, of my trying to write and experimenting with those forms. Mm. Now, you say that you were writing for 20 years. At which point in that 20 years did you decide, that's it, I'm really going to write a novel and I'm really going to have a go at it? Well, I had always wanted to write a novel and um, I I didn't manage to write a novel a, a true novel until I wrote The Historian. Mm. And when I, I had traveled a lot in Eastern Europe um, with some colleagues and, and and with fellowships, and I wanted somehow to encapsulate that experience in a novel, but I just had no idea how to get into the material. Mm. And one day, um, well, it's been 
14 years now probably since mm-hmm. then. But when, one day I had uh, a sudden idea from my own childhood. I suddenly remembered my father when, when we were little and we were traveling in in um, Europe with him. He was a, he's a, a professor, retired now, and he had a fellowship in Eastern Europe. And when we were traveling with him, he would tell wonderful stories, including sometimes stories about Dracula, mm. which were di- diluted for children, but just wonderfully eerie. And they they were always based on the Bram Stoker story. Mm. And I suddenly wondered if this might make a good structure for a novel. Uh, the idea of a father telling a young daughter stories about Dracula. Mm. And, and then I wondered, well, what if Dracula himself turned out to be listening to these stories? Mm. And why would, he, why would he be listening? And it was the first time I'd had an idea that was kind of big enough for a novel. Mm. And I began writing, writing it right away. And I didn't know when I started it that it would take me 10 years of work around <laughs> everything else. But but it did, and it was great. It was great training ground. I learned a lot from mm. that book about writing a plot and writing about place and doing research. And so it took ten years to write, but then it was phenomenally successful and went on to sell over two million copies worldwide. Published in twenty six foreign editions. Did you have any clue that that would happen? No, that <laughs> was. I really, it really took me um, com- pretty much completely by surprise. In fact, it was it was shocking and and wonderful, but but also just I was stunned by it. I had written the historian knowing that it's kind of an odd mix of of elements. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. a literary novel, but it also includes a little bit of a supernatural in a very serious way, and it's a travel book and um, it's a mystery and. I knew that it wasn't going to be easy to to place on one bookshelf or another, mm. and I was really stunned when it sold at auction. It it was um, it's not something you ever expect to have happen if you write a book for yourself. No. <laughs> and <laughs> do you remember when it um, reached the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller list? Do you remember where you were when you found that out, or or how you felt? I do actually. It was it was an unforgettable moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was in I was already on tour. It was my first week of book tour, mm-hmm. and um, the and the list was the the inside information about the list was announced. There's a little bit of lag time after a book comes out before it um, before you know where it will be on the list. And it was the first debut novel to hit number one in its first week. Mm. And I didn't know that that could be done. I, just, <laughs> I had never thought about, I never really thought about the bestseller list because I'm, I'm not a writer writing for that. And I mm. had written the book in such a kind of private way. And I was with my editor who had come on tour for a couple of days with me in Chicago. It was lovely that we were together when this happened. Mm. And I was having an interview with a journalist, a Chicago newspaper journalist, and my editor walked into the the restaurant where we were having our interview. She walked up to me and she said, it's number one. And for a minute, and and she looked electrified, and for a minute, I just, I couldn't even understand what, <laughs> what she was talking about. Number one, one what? <laughs> what, what one? And, and then I suddenly realized that 
she was talking about the New York Times bestseller list, or she maybe she explained. And it was it was an incredible moment. It was an incredible moment for her as mm. as an editor and someone who had worked hard to promote the book and done a wonderful job. And it was a stunning moment for me as well. Mm. Oh, incredible! Now you mentioned that in that ten years you learnt a lot about plot and structure and research. Now, did you, as you were writing the book, were you actually? learning the craft as you went along or had you already had some of those skills and techniques under your belt? Well, I learned a tremendous amount. I I think I knew a little bit from reading and reading deeply and widely and and from the models I wanted to use that that book, as you probably know from reading it, has a lot in common with the three-part suspenseful Victorian Mm. novel. Mm. And I was really saturated with those as a reader so I knew a little bit from that um, and I also had been writing and plotting especially short fiction for years and that is somewhat different um, but I had I had an idea um, that it would that I would need to to outline and think ahead and pace the book over a long stretch. Mm. And I think one of the things I learned from writing the historian was a lot of patience. <laughs> it takes a great deal of patience to to write and plot and and then edit mm. a very long book over a very long time. And the thing I most wanted from that book was to finish it. Oh, yeah. I, I felt that if I yeah, I felt that if I didn't finish it, you know, especially once I was four or five years in, mm. um, I felt that if I didn't finish it, I really would lose my nerve as a writer. And that if I finished it, it, whether or not anything ever happened with it and whether or not it was ever any good, I would at least have the knowledge that I could get all the way through something. And that that was really important to me. So, I mean, 10 years is a long time. Um did you feel what did you feel at the end I mean like you you must have had nothing to do with yourself you know like you spent all these years (laughs) writing this book and suddenly it's finished well I did feel a sense of loss I'm I'm so busy with other things all the time that I I certainly had you know I, I had a lot to catch up on actually after I finished it but um and then I had to of course learn about the industry edit with an editor for the first time and and participate in publicity for the first time and all of that had a very steep learning curve but I started a new book right away I and I think it was because I so much missed those characters that was one of the main reasons <laughs> now before we move on to the your next book the swan thieves I understand that um, the film rights for the historian have been sold how does that feel and what are your thoughts about seeing your book on the screen well, I think every author feels a little bit nervous about that. Um, but I I think when you sell a story, you need to really let it go, too. It, it, you know, you sell it to the best studio you have an opportunity to. And I really like this, this studio that bought it, um, Red Wagon Pictures. They, they made, for example, Memoirs of a Geisha, mm-hmm. which is quite a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. And they work pretty closely with authors as studios go. For example, with Memoirs of a Geisha, they worked for about seven years with Arthur Golden. Mm-hmm. And um, they've retained me as kind of an informal consultant on the mm-hmm. film. So we have discussions about it. 
and I'm just as happy not to be writing a screenplay because that's a, a something that drives novelists out of their minds, I think. Yes, I'm sure. But it, you know, it's it's a long, slow process, and it's interesting to learn about that industry too. I think whatever comes out of it will be, you know, it will be Hollywood. So there will probably be compromises. Mm. It will also be. Um, it's also just a different animal. You mm. know, I think film is such a different medium that you have to kind of enjoy it in its, in its own way. Mm. So tell us about The Swan Thieves. The Swan Thieves is, um, like the historian, partly an historical mystery, but it has a very different subject. It's, it's about um, the rise of Impressionism in France. That's it, the, the history at the heart of the book. And it's also the story of Andrew Marlowe, who was a Washington, D.C. psychiatrist in 1999, who is also an avid amateur painter and, and a really kind of orderly guy. He has his life very much in, in the way he wants it. He's a distinguished professional. And he um, one day he receives the great case of his career, Robert Oliver, who is a, a genius painter, who's approaching the height of his powers. And Robert Oliver has been arrested for attempting to stab a painting in the 19th century um, section of the National Gallery of Art. So he is brought into treatment with with, uh, Andrew Marlowe. And Andrew Marlowe discovers that his new patient won't speak. He won't talk about himself or what he's done. And, of course, the question of why a painter of all people would try to damage a painting is is a very troubling one. Mm. So Andrew Marlowe begins to go beyond the bounds of his own profession to interview the women who have been close to Robert Oliver and try to find out who this very striking man really is. Mm. And in the process, he finds himself drawn into a mystery at the heart of French Impressionism, which is something that obsesses Robert Oliver as a painter and as a person. And this is very much the story of, of how art can change lives and and both um, both awaken people and do damage and um, bring joy and a lot of other things. It's also a love story or, or several love stories, actually, mm. some of them rather unusual. Have you always had um, an interest in art? I mean, you've obviously always had an interest in history. Um, have you always had the same kind of interest in art as well? Very much so. I mean, for me, art is, is very much part of history. And it's sort of when when I stand in front of any painting, I feel as if I'm looking through a window at a particular moment in history. Mm. And um, I think paintings are incredible document of of our human past and this book in many ways was a was a happy excuse to go back and look at for me to go back and look at a lot of um, paintings I love in museums and, mm-hmm. and paintings I didn't know yet and had to learn about for the book there are a lot of paintings in the swan peeps which are pivotal parts of the plot or or have a, an enormous impact on their viewers and most of them are fictional paintings mm-hmm. But they're all they're all based very carefully on particular um, movements or looks mm. or or experiments in the past. 
So obviously with both of your books, there's an incredible amount of research. Now, as a writer, what's your regular process? Because I know lots of other writers, I mean, other writers have um, different processes to each other. Do you typically do all your research first and then when you feel like you've got that critical mass, you start writing or do you kind of write and research as you go along? Well, I guess in a way I do both. Um, I I find that I always find myself writing about things that I'm already somewhat interested in. So I have a little bit of reading background, and then I start reading more generally. And I usually realize at that point how little I know, <laughs> <laughs> and then I I go back and start reading more specifically to answer questions I have for the for the plot or for the characters or for their setting. And then there's kind of a final wave. I think a lot of historical novelists would say this, that there's a point at which your questions are incredibly specific and you're you're looking for, you know, the train timetable mm. to get you from Paris to the coast of Normandy in 1879. Mm. And, and at that point, you're really doing very, very kind of directed research. Mm, absolutely. And um, the first novel took 10 years. How long did the second novel take? <laughs> You know, it took a mere four years. <laughs> and somebody was somebody was asking me the other day, why did it take you so long to write the Swan Thieves? And you know, and I was laughing. I just thought, wow, this is this seemed incredibly fast to me after ten years. Yes. And um, I still do some teaching and a lot of social service and have a lot of other responsibilities. So um, I I still was was not writing. You know at breakneck speed full time. Mm. But I did get to spend a lot more time immersed in the Swan Thieves at one time than I ever did with a historian. And I felt very grateful for that. Mm. At the same time, research is, is a very, it's a slow business. And I seem to write long books. And um, <laughs> so I've been, I've been really immersed in it for quite a while now. Mm. So when you have when you're when you are writing and not doing publicity and all that, but when you are in the depths of your writing, can you describe to us your typical writing day? Do you have a routine or any rituals that you go in, and do to get into the zone? What's your typical writing day? You know, I wish I could say that I have a typical writing day. <laughs> I I find that each of my days is is different enough with different duties and activities and and um especially with with teaching and publicity travel you know the the kinds of projects I'm involved in including promoting my last book mm. um i find that every day has a somewhat different schedule often and my my one routine is to try the each evening to look at the next day's schedule and and book myself for some writing for whatever amount of time i have whether that's 4 hours on a wonderful day mm. or um 35 minutes or um, if I have a big deadline coming up, sometimes I'll clear a lot of extra time and space. Mm. But I find that it's, I just try to make an appointment with myself to write for the next day. Mm. And that kind of puts it on my calendar and commits me to it. But on the whole, um, I just try to write daily whenever I can and as much as I can fit in. So you don't have to be at home to get into the zone. You can write anywhere as long as you've got your computer. Do you, you, is that what happens? Yes. I. You know, I really try to have that flexibility because I'm often on the road. Mm. And um, I think, you know, it's there's a certain danger in getting attached to a ritual of writing. Mm. And, and 
you know, I know writers who find it very hard to write except in the morning or mm-hmm. late at night or or in a particular place or um, if it's noisy. And I actually often take my laptop to a noisy cafe and write there mm. and and just um, enjoy feeling surrounded by people but alone with my story. And that, of course, that also gets you away from the dishes and the phone and the, yes. the other, the distractions of home. Mm. Um, and I... I really like the fact that I can write almost anywhere. I can write in an airport. I wrote a good part of the Swan Thieves on airplanes while I was touring for the historian. <laughs> so, I mean, I I, I get uh, like any writer. I get tired, or I get, um, or I'm stumped by a problem, or I have other things I need to take care of urgently, and I get thrown off track. It's it's not that I'm some kind of paragon of of work, but I do think that. To, this kind of flexibility is a really good thing for a lot of writers in in the real world. Mm. And so what are you working on now? Your next novel? I started a new novel in November mm-hmm. and I've been working on it a little bit at a time and um, I can see already that it's going to take a huge amount of research. Right. So that, that's I'm sort of bracing myself for that. Um, and it's it's wonderful to be starting to explore new characters. I think every writer feels kind of a sense of loss when a when a book ends, and you've spent so much time imagining these people and living their lives and mm. living with them, and then they're kind of done or gone, and you remember them fondly. But but it's wonderful to be immersed in something new. Mm. And so, can you reveal to us what it's about at all? Well, you know, I I think um, there's something about the beginning of a project when it's really raw that that shouldn't be revealed, and and I don't mean that in sort of secretive way. But I've always found if you talk a lot about projects near their beginning, they can lose a little of their energy mm. because you feel as if you've you've already told the story. <laughs> you don't need to tell it on paper. That's nice so, and mysterious. Yeah, I'm still wrestling. <laughs> well, I'm still wrestling with it. Sure. And so to people out there who are listening who, you know, have their novel in a drawer, the aspiring writers who are, you know, reading the historian and the Swan Thieves and just going, oh, my God, I wish that was me. What's your advice to them? Well, I think there are several things that help writers a great deal. And one of them is reading. As, as much as you have time to, but also the best possible work. You can find the, the work that that readers have revered for centuries mm. or millennia and to, to immerse yourself in those classics because they really are our teachers. And I, I read a lot of contemporary fiction also and essays and history, of course, but I always turn back to to the, the, the masters and mistresses of prose and I think another thing is is just to to have a sense of not giving up, you know, to know that that it's very important not to write because you think you'll you'll be published or because you think you'll win this or that or you'll have this or that outcome. It's it's really writing is really about like any craft is about challenging yourself. Mm. and and being very, very determined, believing in it. Mm. Great, great advice. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for talking with me. 
You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.